Coming up on Transformers University. Way back in episodes 50 through 52, we took an in-depth look at Transformers the movie. Now, we're going to take a look at the 1986 Marvel Comics adaptation of that film. We'll talk about what was different, what stayed the same, and how it impacted the story right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the Toy Archive, the website, this podcast, the social media, and so much more. And I welcome you to another installment of Transformers University. This is episode number 72. And this time around... We're going to be talking about the Marvel Comics adaptation of Transformers, the movie. Now, if you're unfamiliar with our coverage of Transformers, the movie, I do encourage you to go back to episodes 50 and 51, where we broke down uh, the movie. We talked to a ton of people about their favorite moments in the film, and uh, we compared it to the storyboards and earlier versions of the film, uh, and also... I encourage you to listen to episode 52 where I sat down with an old friend, J.C. Reifenberg, uh, filmmaker and uh, podcaster proprietor of the Scum and Villainy Cantina in Hollywood, California. And we did a lot on Transformers the movie. So it, the fun thing here is that we don't necessarily need to talk much about the plot or the story uh, as far as its effects on the Transformers universe. However, there are a lot of differences in this comic, and we will be getting to those. But first, I just want to give a shout-out to all of our Patreon students, our Patreon subscribers. A quick reminder that we are only two more patrons away from our first goal of 25, where I will go back and re-edit the first three episodes of Transformers University as full video versions. So for as little as $1 a month, you can join the Patreon, and for a couple bucks more, you can get some of our exclusive podcasts, actually access to all of our exclusive podcasts, plus polls and uh, chances to be on the show. There's lots of ways you can participate with tfu.info. So with that said, we're going to jump into our topic for this episode, Marvel Comics adaptation of Transformers the Movie. So before we get into issue one, let's talk a little bit about uh, what this is overall. So from what uh, I could tell and what I can gather from TF Wiki, our friends over at tfwiki.net, uh, this is an adaptation of an earlier script of the film because the comic version came out uh, the same month. The first issue, number one here that we'll talk about in just a second, uh, came out in August of 1986, which uh, coincides with the film's release in North America. Now, uh, this is an adaptation of an earlier script, uh, as I just said. And uh, so there's definitely some minor differences and some major differences. Some of these differences are certainly due to that older script and how things change during the production process of the film. Some of it is due to the comics medium itself. So some of the things that make Transformers the movie, the actual film, um, resonate with people. The soundtrack, uh, some of the scene changes, some of the things, uh, just the physical actions, the the fight sequences, the animation. Can't do that in comics because it's static. It's still, it's on a printed page, right? So you have to adapt some of that stuff in a different way. So uh, 
because of that and because of the earlier script, this is a, a almost a different telling of the same story. So it's it's kind of a universe unto itself. Uh, it doesn't exist in the cartoon continuity, and it doesn't exist in the Marvel US or UK comics continuity. So this is kind of its own little pocket universe. Uh, so keep that in mind that uh, these characters and these uh, iterations of some of our favorites uh, really do only exist in these three issues of the comic. And so let's uh, talk about issue number one, which uh, features a uh, really cool looking cover. It's uh, based very much on the movie poster with Ultra Magnus and a bunch of the Autobots firing up into the sky in the shadow of Unicron. Well, actually the top part of Unicron and the upper portion of the frame and the Decepticons kind of being a ring around that. And uh, um, everyone is kind of miscolored. The Decepticons are all in just shades of purple. Uh, Ultra Magnus has uh, entirely red boots uh, instead of blue and red combo or blue and white and red combo. Uh, Hot Rod is a uh, magenta with some blue accents. Cup has a blue face and gray accents. And then uh, RC and Springer are also kind of differently colored as well. Um, it's it's a it's a very well drawn uh, even if it is miscolored uh, version of uh, of these characters. But uh, it, the neat thing here would be uh, that we've never seen <laughs> we've never seen toy versions of these colorations. Uh, something to keep in mind uh, as generations the toy line uh, continues on. Uh, I've never seen fans clamoring for these, but some of these would probably look really cool in a physical form. Now the uh, the production team for this issue and all three issues, uh, the adapter, as we will call him, uh, in, because he's not the writer, he's adapting the film script, uh, is Ralph Macchio, uh, spelt the same as Ralph Macchio, the Karate Kid. Uh, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by uh, Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey, letters by Janice Chang, colors by Nell Yamtov, and edits on this by Bob Budiansky. Uh, and if you remember the name Ralph Macchio from a previous episode, you have to all go all the way back to the single digits of this show uh, because he was the person who uh, co-wrote Marvel uh, Comics Transformers U.S. number one. Now, this uh, the story starts the same way. Uh, it starts with uh, Unicron and his attack on Lathone, though it's not shown as him eating Lathone. It's shown as this, like, mystical gas that... Uh, destroys things and uh, we do meet Kranix, uh, but he does not take a ship to leave the planet. He actually transforms into a spaceship kind of mode and leaves on his own power. Uh, the story then shifts back to Cybertron and Optimus Prime sends Ironhide on his mission uh, to Earth. Laserbeak is spying, but not in his bird mode. He is spying in his cassette mode at a cassette deck conveniently located in the Autobot base. The story continues on pretty much like, like the movie. The Decepticons find out from Laserbeak what the Autobots are up to. And uh, we cut to Prowl and Ironhide and company uh, flying through space. And actually, uh, this scene features them talking about uh, the asteroid field and ice chunks, which was in an earlier draft of the script and is in the storyboards, I believe. I mentioned that uh, back, way back in episode 50. Uh, the Decepticons then attack. There's no music, no instruments of destruction playing here but you'll hear it in your head when you read it i guarantee it and uh there's this basically a single panel for everyone who gets shot and they all get shot in the chest or the midsection so braun not taking one to the shoulder this time around 
Uh, but the thing missing from this scene is there's no portion of the scene where Megatron finishes off Ironhide by shooting him in the face. Megatron does not say, Such heroic nonsense! And then fire his gun into Ironhide's face. Uh, it, that's all cut out. And then back on Earth, uh, we get you know Hot Rod and Daniel fishing. Uh, and they go to watch the shuttle land. But the shuttle lands, and then the Decepticons leave. And that's when Daniel notices uh, what's going on. They don't see the hole in the shuttle as it's flying. They see the hole in the shuttle when it lands. And the Battle of Autobot City begins. From here, the story pretty much continues on like the movie. Uh, the Autobots are informed. Ultra Magnus gives his orders. RC and Springer uh, set off to transform Autobot City. They are not strafed by Starscream in this scene, though. Um, and as Autobot City transforms, the script actually refers to it as Fortress Maximus. It turns out, at least according to TF Wiki, that Fortress Maximus was a working name uh, prior to finally naming the toy Metroplex, but it was a working name uh, for uh, Metroplex, and prior to that, Omega Supreme. From there, they construct a form Devastator. The Dinobots arrive. There's no launcher scene where uh, RC and Springer and then a Cup and Hot Rod have to move uh, the launcher into place, though we do see Devastator get hit with a bomb at one point. Um, but that means no dead Wheeljack or Windcharger. <laughs> we then get the fight of Optimus and Megatron, and a lot of things missing from here, such as this very historic and very much reused uh, Transformers dialogue. One shall stand, one shall fall. We also don't get uh, interference from Hot Rod in the scene. So Hot Rod doesn't get into Prime's fight. Uh, Megatron just asks for mercy and then snatches a gun. Um, but the ending the ending is pretty much the same. You get Optimus going never and, and Optimus and Megatron both basically falling at the same time. One of the big things missing from issue one and from uh, the first third of this story is Cup is not in this story. So Hot Rod is, but Cup is not. Uh, R.C. actually has his line of uh, talking about Prime turning uh, the tide of the fight as the Decepticons flee aboard Astrotrain. Now, the death of Optimus Prime, he passes the Matrix to Ultra Magnus, but there's no foreshadowing of Hot Rod catching the Matrix as Ultra Magnus drops it. And um, so there's no real you know, clue here that Hot Rod is going to become Rodimus Prime. Also, the Matrix doesn't look like the Matrix does in, in the cartoon. It is just a green sphere. Um, aboard Astrotrain, he says that they've got to... Jettison some weight or I'll never make it to Cybertron! Yes, we know he meant mass, but he still said jettison some weight. But there's also no fight for leadership aboard Astrotrain. All the damaged Decepticons are tossed, including Megatron. Uh, Megatron and company end up on Unicron. Uh... And, you know, they get their deal going. And it's, you know, for the proceed on your way to Oblivion portion, instead of Unicron trying to suck Megatron into that maw of his in, in planet form, uh, he unleashes the gas that we saw at the beginning of the issue. So Megatron strikes his deal. But the difference in this book versus the film, Megatron is not turned into Galvatron first. It actually happens in the other order. Cyclonus and Scourge are formed first. And... Uh, there's actually a line in here which is kind of awkward and, and interesting in that 
uh, it says that Unicron says that uh, Cyclonus will become Megatron's ship. Uh, there's no mention, of course, of Cyclonus and his armada. But he calls it Megatron's ship just right before he takes Megatron and turns him into Galvatron. And that's where the issue ends. You know, uh, before we get into issue number two, you know, it's something that dawned on me as I was talking here. Um, I actually read this version of the story, I think, before I saw the film. So I, I was into the comics uh, quite a bit, and I remember not seeing the film uh, until probably 87 or 88. Um, no, it was probably mid-87. I probably didn't see it until about a year after it came out. And um, I had heard uh, characters died, and you can see it kind of in this issue, but uh, there's nothing saying that uh, any of the Autobots aboard the ship actually die. Like, uh, it's not as brutal. Like, they get shot, and then you don't see from them again. Uh, and it's not like the film where there's holes blown through them and smoke coming out of them. Um, so you don't really get the feeling that, that all these characters died other than Optimus Prime. That said, it also kind of softened the blow of Optimus Prime uh, dying. But then again, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw bits of season three before seeing the film. And that would mean that uh, it was kind of uh, hinted at that Optimus wasn't around anymore. And I'm sure someone at school probably just ruined it for me as well. I wouldn't say seeing this first would ruin the movie for you, but it's certainly a different take to experience this before experiencing the actual film. Uh, and I don't think the first portion of this adaptation does the film justice, really. So moving on to issue number two, and this one features uh, a cover of the Sharktacon pit scene. Uh, it says the Sharktacon strike and uh, has Grimlock, Hot Rod and Cup fighting uh, in the pits there with the Sharktacons. And uh, I always thought it's neat that they show Hot Rod firing out of his exhaust pipes on his wrists. I feel like that's that's an underutilized uh, trick of his uh, toy design, uh, make turning that into weaponry. And this issue, again, features the, uh, the same crew as the previous issues. We won't go through them. But uh, it starts with Galvatron and company rolling up on Starscream's coronation. Uh, Galvatron doesn't say, Here's a hint! Instead, he actually explains to Starscream <laughs> that uh, he it was Megatron. And then uh, kills Starscream and takes over. On Moonbase 1, Jazz and Cliffjumper uh, are there getting ready to escape in a... Interesting mistake here is that uh, Cliffjumper and Jazz's colors are swapped. Uh, so Cliffjumper is in white and black, and Jazz is in uh, red with uh, blue highlights. And uh, this would be a neat kind of toy thing to do at some point. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> or we have one of the few canonical appearances of Zoom Zoom. Who's Zoom Zoom? You're going to have to go onto the toy archive at www.tfu.info to find out. Uh, you can check the alphabetical listings, go to Z, uh, and find it from there. Jazz and Cliffjumper try to make their escape, and the ship gets swallowed by a Unicron. Galvantron and company then go and attack Autobot City as they're repairing. They've also built a pair of shuttles there by Autobot City, uh, just pretty much like in the film. They didn't build the shuttles in the film, but they I mentioned building the shuttles in this script. Uh, the Autobots take off and eventually escape. Uh, on the Hot Rod Cup ship, 
uh, we have Hot Rod training with the uh, auto combatant, and he uh, actually gets kicked in the butt by the auto combatant. Uh, the Decepticons uh, pursue, and uh, they they fire their missiles. The Hot Rod and Cup they do the reverse polarities gag, and then uh, flee the missiles. But as they're fleeing, Hot Rod and Cup's ship gets hit with a claw from a planet below. That planet will turn out to be Quintessa, but it's called Quintesson in this book. Galvatron fires on Ultra Magnus and company, and we get this funny moment, actually, in this scene. As uh, Ultra Magnus and, and Springer and folks flee, Ultra Magnus asks Perceptor to find a place to land for repairs, you know, and he gives this long thing about, you know, uh, marginal navigational probabilities. And, and the next panel is just Magnus looking up, asking, why did I ask? Why? Why? Um, it's very, I don't want to say reminiscent because this exists prior to IDW's More Than Meets the Eye comics and that version of Ultra Magnus, but uh, you could definitely draw a line from this one panel straight to James Roberts's work in More Than Meets the Eye. In fact, I, I'm going to have to dig up uh, this panel for social media to kind of post out there. I think that one uh, is a lot of fun. So Hot Rod Cup and Company crash on the planet, quote, Quintesson, as opposed to Quintessa, which is the actual name in the uh, comics and cartoon. Uh, thing here that is very different is that uh, most of the Dinobots end up together, but Grimlock this time ends up with Hot Rod and Cup, which is far different than the film script. Uh, they get captured by the Sharktacons. Uh, there's no scene with the Universal Greeting. There are actual Sharktacons that capture them that they go willingly with, as opposed to uh, the the alligator cons or whatever those are, uh, the crocodiles. I don't know what are, what are those exactly in, in Transformers the movie. Whatever those ones are, uh, it's not those body models used in this scene. Uh, they end up jailed with Kranix, uh, just like in the movie. Kranix gets tried and executed. Um, and then the Autobots are tried, and uh, it seems similar to the movie, but Grimlock is there with them. Uh, just then, as they're being dropped into the Sharktacon pit, um, Cup actually frees his bonds, uh, and uh, the other Dinobots arrive via Swoop, who give this long explanation of how they were following off in the distance, and, and of course they defeat the Sharktacons. In this scene, they need a ride back afterwards, um, and that's where Wheelie just appears and says, uh, you know, you get ship if I get trip. But he doesn't rhyme any other time while he's talking. And he appears in just this one panel. So there is no explanation of him showing up. Uh, he is never part of the story again. And we never get to understand why Wheelie is there in the first place. We then cut back to Moonbase 2. Um, something weird in the script here. And something I probably never really noticed with the first film. Um, but the script calls it the second moon of Cybertron, and that means there's an order to the moons of one and two. There's a first and a second. Moons and planets, you'd think that there would be um, just names for these things because they exist as celestial bodies in the sky. Um, numbering them or giving them a number order doesn't really uh, necessarily make sense uh, unless there was one before the other. Uh, so calling it the second moon... Uh, is a bit odd, but that's where Moonbase 2 is, on the second moon, um, as opposed to moon with a name and other moon with a name. And, of course, then we get, you know, Bumblebee and Spike, and uh, they try to blow up uh, Unicron, and, of course, 
Spike delivers his famous line from the film of it isn't even dented. We've failed completely. <laughs> That's exactly what he said in the movie. Uh, and then the uh, the base and their ship is swallowed by Unicron. And that is the end of issue number two. So we go on to the final uh, issue in this trilogy, uh, issue number three, which features a cover of Unicron uh, and a bunch of bots in robot mode. But Unicron's in robot mode. Dude, don't put the spoilers on the cover. Um, sure, it came out two months after the film, but still, don't put the spoilers on the cover. Uh, Ultra Magnus and company crash on Junkion, and Daniel gets his uh, Spike's exosuit, which is actually red and blue in the scene. Uh, it uh, looks weird, but uh, I, I, you can get used to it. Uh, the Junkions are about to attack the Autobots when the Decepticons arrive. The Decepticons attack, and Ultra Magnus, much like in the original script, and actually in the audio uh, script, if you listen to the audio of the original film, it really does sound like this. Magnus is drawn and quartered by the sweeps. And for more on that scene, and for a bit of a walk down memory lane relating to this particular comic book, I'm going to toss it over to the host of the Mike Seibert radio podcast, Mike Seibert. So after the movie had left theaters, but before it showed up on home video, um, it, it was a relatively narrow uh, window of time. But there was a time where you literally could not watch Transformers the movie if you wanted to. So th there were a couple few different ways to uh, uh, re-experience that, that story. Uh, you know, like our, our friends across the pond in UK had the uh, Lady Bird books, uh, which I'm sure will show up in a later episode. Um, there was the Marvel Comics uh, three-issue adaptation that we're talking about now here today. And then um, for me, uh, my big thing and we're going to unpack this uh, later in the year is the uh, diamond sticker book the uh, uh, storybook uh, uh, told with trading card style stickers it was really cool uh, but for now I want to tell a story about issue three of Marvel Comics adaptation of Transformers the movie um Interestingly enough, I um, I wasn't a regular subscriber to the Marvel comics uh, for Transformers or, or really G.I. Joe or any uh, anything else that uh, Marvel was offering. Um, so I would get issues sporadically, like at gas stations, uh, supermarkets, uh, you know, places where you can't buy comic books today uh, because I didn't have a you know dedicated a uh, comic book shop. Um, so no direct market. And so, yeah, you know, it, you're at that time, you're kind of left up to whatever the store manager chooses to order from Marvel Comics. So um, long story short is that issue three was the only issue of the Transformers the movie adaptation that uh, that I had as a kid. And uh, much like my stories that I've told uh, several times in several other places uh, about my vivid memories of uh, going to watch Transformers the movie twice in the theater, you know, I've talked about Red Vines and Dr. Pepper and, and all the other stuff, uh, I have a very similar uh, memory and story with this. Uh, there, there was a 7-Eleven uh, uh, near my house that was just 
just outside of walking distance. But once I started uh, uh, learning to ride a bike, I was able to uh, bicycle out to it, and they had uh, two spinner stands of uh, various comic books. I remember getting like a lot of like early X-Men, uh, Daredevil, um, uh, and obviously Transformers and G.I. Joe as well. And that's where I grabbed uh, issue three of the uh, Marvel comic for Transformers the movie. I grabbed it uh, on my way to summer camp. So I don't know if it was still first run or, you know, the, the memory gets a little, little cloudy with that, but I was heading off to to summer camp and I had just enough money to buy like uh two or three comic books and then uh, um, also got myself like a like a medium Coca-Cola Slurpee. Um, uh, again, the, the the weird stuff that that we remember. Um, but I I remember taking this comic uh, to this uh, summer camp with me. Um, I was there, I don't know, maybe two weeks. Uh, I, I have no idea how summer camp goes for, for kids anymore. Um, I do remember that I made some uh, uh, questionable uh, uh, toy trades. I remember I had a uh, gung ho uh, GI Joe action figure that I traded for a pocket knife, which of course was almost immediately confiscated once I was uh, once I was caught with it. Uh, but I I remember reading this issue over and over and over, and um, it kind of it kind of created this weird Mandela effect where I almost I I knew that I knew the movie. And I knew that this comic wasn't exactly the movie because, you know, it's like the, the the Matrix didn't look right. All of the colors were wrong. And it was just kind of like the, this weird uh, psychedelic, I, I guess, take on because, I mean, even then the characters weren't necessarily on model uh, for the Marvel comics that, that were uh, that were running at the time either. So um, it, it was really odd. So. It's it's interesting. I didn't actually own the three issues of Marvel Comics Transformers, the movie adaptation, until like maybe five years ago. I just happened to to find uh, all three of them at a comic shop. My my original copy of issue three had long since you know gone to uh, where uh, where uh, well loved comic books uh, <laughs> go to go to comic book heaven. I I don't know what happened to it. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I, I have another uh, uh, connection with this particular story. Um, now, anybody on the internet knows me. I, uh, I am good friends with Aaron, Ryan, and Caleb, the Autopod Decepticast. And uh, if you don't know, their show is a was for the first eighty six. Uh, episodes, a minute by minute breakdown of Transformers the movie. Now, very early in our friendship, they invited me to be a part of one of their episodes. It's episode number 50. It's still available on autopoddecepticast.com. Um, and basically, that minute of the movie that we talked about was the death of Ultra Magnus. And I remember this very, uh, very vividly and specifically from the comic when I read it as a kid because it's one of those things that's obviously uh, vastly different. So I thought rather than trying to recount that story, I have the audio right here. I'm just going to play this for you. Yes, we are, we are doing a clip within a clip 
uh, within a podcast. So it's like like I'm a I'm a dude disguised as a dude playing another dude or 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 however it goes. Um, anyway, check out this uh, this excerpt of episode fifty of Autopod Decepticast where we are talking about issue three of the Marvel Comics adaptation of Transformers the movie. So, um, so I, I'm going to read a little bit from this comic book. Um, now, this was uh, issue number three of the uh, Transformers the Movie adaptation from Marvel Comics. It was uh, adapted by Ralph Macchio. And I, I have to <laughs> warn you here, not, not the Karate Kid. The, the, uh, not that Ralph Macchio. Yeah, yeah, apparently this guy is like a guy that's a guy. Like, he's written like Spider-Man comics for like 30 years and is, you know, a pretty uh, prolific writer in, uh, in terms of Marvel Comics. But he's trying to do a lot with a little in this uh, comics adaptation. It's bonkers because, like, all of the the um, uh, speech bubbles are full of exposition. So they, mm. they try to do a lot. So so I'm gonna try to get through this as best as I can. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna pick up where uh, Cyclonus and Galvatron kind of show up. Um, <clears throat> Cyclonus comes to a halt in midair as Decepticon leader Galvatron leaps out to confront Autobot chief Ultra Magnus. So we meet again, Autobot fool. Unicron, the planet eater, informed me that you had not died in our last encounter and that I would find you <laughs> on Junkion, Galvatron says. You have something I desire. Give it to me now. Give me the leadership matrix. He says, pointing okay. at, him. and and I'm gonna take pictures of this to you know uh, forward to you guys to put up on uh, on the Absolutely. website if you'd like. Sure. Um, so Ultra Magnus is seen uh, struggling with a prototype version of the Matrix. It's just kind of like a green block, and uh, the caption reads, "The Matrix, an Autobot object of unbelievable power that was recently passed on to Ultra Magnus by the late Autobot leader Optimus Prime." Why won't the Matrix open? Prime said the Matrix would light our darkest hour, and now I can't even remove it from its casing. <laughs> to which Galvatron... Pretty casual dialogue there. It's like, I can't get the cap open. And also, way to, way to show your hand to the bad guys in front of you. Because like Galvatron's like right there. So the next panel, um, it's Galvatron pointing in the and kind of like what we see in the movie and the sweeps over his shoulder. The fool can't even make the leadership matrix works. Sweeps, quarter him is the order. You turn the page. So it's a panel of Ultra Magnus standing. Wow. The four sweeps come down. There's laser beams emitting from them with sound effects that say spring, spring, spring <laughs> with, with various I's and N's and G's. It's very dramatic. And then the next panel, no defense is possible as the stunned Autobot commander is lifted uh, by the four Decepticon sweeps. And it shows him with uh, laser ropes around his arms and ankles. And he's holding the green matrix cube. Uh, despite Ultra Magnus's great strength, the beams begin to pull his trapped limbs taut. Inexorable, inexorably, and, and actually in the illustration, there's like shaky lines, you know, as like, you know, he's being pulled. Uh, inexorably, his body is stretched to the breaking point. Uh, Magnus says, I, I failed you, Optimus, failed you, at, and, and all those you left me to lead, I'm so sorry. So very sorry, I, I, and then the, uh, in the next panel, 
he explodes, gets torn <laughs> apart. Yeah, we're, we we found we found a quick reference to this online. We're looking at this. That's really disturbing. Isn't that brutal? I... <laughs> That's the one. But then, like the, I love this because it kind of matches the ma- the the movie. The Matrix just kind of falls into Galvatron's hands, and he says, "Ah, just what I'd hope would fall into my hands." And the last panel is him uh, holding the Matrix, not unlike the final movie except if um i don't know if you could see it on uh your version but it's just basically like it's a green cube mm-hmm, it kind of yeah. looks like a delicious lime jello treat yeah. but it's got yeah. like, but it's got like this weird plug on the side like uh yeah, you that. know like the like the cap that ultra magnus couldn't open or something like you were talking about earlier maybe it's some kind of weird uh plug of oh. some kind nothing ryan really <laughs> No, well, I was going to say, it's kind of, maybe it's a flashlight. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It's like, I mean, somebody. Sorry. Yeah, I was just looking. I'm sorry. sorry. I was lost in thought yeah, of like, sorry. I could fuck We're that so cube. sorry he let you down. I know. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it's like somebody's that thing right <laughs> but yeah so so galvatron says I, the the leadership matrix of the autobots its power incalculable unicron my master in quotes with this i shall make you my slave exclamation point uh i do like the read the, the way the matrix i'm mean, presumably that was i mean i think when that comic was written they were working off of a mid-stage script. Yeah, yeah the movie wasn't done and uh so they didn't really have any sense of where the design of the matrix would go i I like the way it went and on screen versus what we saw on the page there. And also within that entire segment, we, you know, we talk about uh, some of the other uh, script deviations. There's like three different ways that uh, that Ultra Magnus actually dies. Uh, uh, the comic book is the one that kind of shows from the original Ron Friedman script. And then there's a couple variations from there and obviously uh, the completed film. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, episode number 50 of Autopod Decepticast, uh, uh, autopoddecepticast.com. As for me, uh, my name is Mike. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Seibert Radio, as well as uh, Instagram and Facebook. I am the host of the Mike Seibert Radio podcast, which is nobody's favorite Transformers adjacent uh, pop culture show. Um, back over to you, Ant. Thanks. And I want to thank Mike for that little bit of clipception uh, that we had going on Uh as he mentioned, you can catch the Autopod Decepticast and Mike Seibert's own podcast, the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast, uh, just about everywhere you listen to this show. And uh, I'm going to go on record and say that um, Mike's show is my favorite Transformers-adjacent pop culture podcast. So back to the issue. Galvatron gets the Matrix and heads off to Unicron. Hot Rod and Cup and the Dinobots then arrive in the Quintesson ship, and Hot Rod does the universal greeting with the Junkions. The uh, Junkions then reciprocate and rebuild Ultra Magnus. They then realize that uh, the Quintesson ship is not enough to bring everyone back to fight Unicron, but we find out that the Junkions don't have a ship hiding in their planet. Their planet is a ship, and they have rocket boosters hiding in it in this version. And so the rocket boosters... Uh, uh, fold out from within under the junk in a junkion and uh, the planet flies through space. We cut to Galvatron confronting Unicron and this stays pretty close to the uh, film 
in terms of script and uh, results, Unicron transforms, takes Galvatron, swallows him, and attacks Cybertron. Uh, the counterattack begins with Shockwave leading the Decepticons. The ship and the planet of junk arrive, and Unicron shoots the Quintesson ship with eye beams, which uh, causes the ship to crash into his eye and split apart. The Autobots inside fall uh, various places, and we follow Hot Rod as he uh, falls to where Galvatron has ended up as well. They fight. Hot Rod grabs the Matrix, becomes Rodimus Prime. There's no ghost of Optimus Prime in this scene or the voice of Optimus Prime in this scene saying, Arise, Rodimus Prime. Uh, instead, he just becomes Rodimus Prime and defeats Galvatron and unleashes the Matrix in the name of Optimus Prime. Uh, and uh, that begins to destroy Unicron. Unicron does rip his own leg off as poorly animated in the movie as it was. Uh, it's also shown here in the comic version, uh, the Autobots escape. Uh, you know, Rodimus rolls up in his Winnebago mode, and uh, there's no cliff jumper or jazz in the scene, so uh, we just presume they're dead, I guess. There's also no uh, scene of Daniel, you know, shooting uh, uh, the cover down to save Spike and Bumblebee. However, you do see, if you look real closely at the art here, two humans get inside of Rodimus Prime, so we can assume one is Daniel and one is Spike. And in the next panel, we'll see the Autobots in vehicle mode, including a Volkswagen bug, which we can presume is Bumblebee. Um, so they survive, but Cliffjumper and Jazz, don't know. They survived, maybe, maybe not. Uh, it ends with Unicron exploding, and Rodimus Prime and the Autobots taking over Cybertron, reclaiming Cybertron, and proclaiming. Till all are one! Till all are one! But for more... On issue number three, I'm going to toss it over to my good friend, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here talking about the Transformer, the movie comic adaptation for Marvel Comics. Uh, I've uh, As a kid, I only owned issue three. Just giving a little bit of uh, my memories of this comic, you know, re-looking at it now versus then and, uh, you know, the, the kind of the piece of spoiler that it was. I'm trying to remember, like, I don't know if I, I, I'm pretty sure I read this first before I saw uh, the Five Faces of Darkness, and I, I think I had a pretty good uh, spoilers from people who had seen the movie and whatnot ahead of time I knew. I, I knew what was going on, but I believe this was my first time seeing what the ending of the movie was, and obviously it's, uh, there's changes uh, from the movie to the, uh, you know, the, 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 what the script was, what the movie ended up being, and, you know, what the comic is. You know, rereading it now, one of the things I noticed, like, the, uh, I, one of, the, one of the, the strongest memories I have is, like, I didn't know, I completely misjudged what the uh, Gregor and the Junkions were saying, because I saw it here in written form first, which is pretty much the same uh, quotes that they're doing from, you know, famous TV uh, cliches, phrases, whatnot. And I just kind of pictured it just because the way it's written. Very, very kind of deadpan. Uh, you know, I didn't know, you know, Eric Idle and whatnot would be doing all these crazy uh, sounds and voices. I just kind of pictured this really weird, uh, almost ominous and creepy kind of deadpan, you know, commercial jingles. Uh, I, th I think that's what uh, most... Uh, Kind of surprised me with the movie, you know, because I didn't read the first two issues. Yes, but but you know, all the plot points are hit here, and I, I you know kind of figured it out. A lot more. There's a lot of exposition jammed into panels, 
Uh, you know, that's that's fun to look at. You know, I think it's what 22 pages, and they're trying to cram in, you know, essentially the last third of this movie in here. So you get a lot of panels that just have a lot, a lot of dialogue boxes. And, uh, you know, kind of skipping over the transformation of uh, Unicron. I think that was like the one of my bigger takeaways rereading it, realizing what a big deal in the movie that was. It's like a few panels because they just had stuff to get to. You know, and they're hurrying in this adaptation along. Uh, we get a few nice bits. You know, uh, Rodimus, you know, pretty much straight goes to Galvatron. You know, and he acknowledges who Megatron was before. The fact that he's the killer. He killed Prime. You know, I, I think that that bit of dialogue gave, you know, his triumph over Galvatron a little more oomph. Though, obviously, there were, I don't think there was ever any plans to for that be the end of Galvatron or the Transformer series. But if it had to be, it was a nice moment, and I like the dialogue better in the comic. Anyway, that's about all I got to really comment on uh, the adaptation here. Uh, the art felt like regular art from any uh, Transformer comic. The, the way it was written is very Marvel style, which is also in, in style with the Transformers comic. And you know, also you know, an interesting adaptation of the movie script and what we eventually see of the movie. But beyond that, it's just uh, I just find it kind of a just kind of a weird artifact of uh, Transformers at this state in 1986. That's all I got. Back to you, Ant. And of course, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/recharge138, for more on that. And that's it. That is the comic adaptation of transforms the movie uh it's it's different enough uh certainly worth the read it is kind of verbose uh, in ralph macchio's style of over explaining things um there's some things that really do happen and don't make sense like wheelie showing up and then disappearing <laughs> but uh there's really no uh motivation for why wheelie needs to get off of uh quintessa or quintessan as it's called here but it's it's satisfying uh look there's a reason why these Three books are probably not worth a ton of money. Uh, their cover price was 75 cents each. You could probably get them for about that much each uh, if you look around. And if you can find them on a digital comic service like Comixology or something like that, uh, yeah, give them a read. They're, they're certainly not not uh, not a waste of time for sure. And uh, you could probably blow right through it because if you know the movie, uh, the scenes do read very quickly. Uh, one other panel I really liked in this one is Hot Rod getting kicked by the autocombatant. Uh, that's one I'm going to have to put out on social media as well. Now that'll wrap this episode of Transformers University. Of course, if you want to help out the show, and boy, I would love if you helped out the show because we are just two more patrons away, as I said earlier, uh, from hitting our goal of 25. You can go to patreon.com slash tfuinfo. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can get this episode uh, at least a day early and a whole bunch of other little fun things. I post photos of my show notes from time to time, my handwritten uh, show notes, uh, some exclusive content uh, as best I can, and uh, chances to be part of the show. There's, it's all there. So just uh, swing on by patreon.com slash TFU info. Now, if you want to catch the show, uh, the show is uh, in all of your favorite podcasting places. So... Uh, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's being called uh, these days, uh, Google Play or Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, uh, just about everywhere you uh, could listen to podcasts, uh, you can find this show. We're also up on YouTube, youtube.com slash 
TFU info. Please subscribe there. Uh, subscribe wherever you do listen to the show so you're informed of the latest episodes. And of course, if you can, comment, leave a review, do just do something to uh, uh, help us get seen. If you like the show, just uh, please leave a leave a review. Leave a review of this episode if you're uh, watching, listening on YouTube. Uh, and of course, if you want to interact with me, uh, the best place to do it is Twitter. Uh, but I do check everything. So if you if you leave a message on YouTube or on Patreon or um, even in the Apple uh, iTunes reviews, I do read them. I do go and look at them from time to time. Uh, but if you want to reach out to me, the quickest way to do it is on Twitter at TFU underscore info. Uh, it's the only one I got with an underscore. But that is where you can... Uh, interact with me. That's where I post regularly. Uh, it's where I comment on the current news of the day. Uh, but you can also catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tfuinfo, Instagram at instagram.com slash tfuinfo, and of course on the web at www.tfu.info. Uh, one last thing to talk about before I let you know what we're doing next time around, and that is we are less than a month away from our New York Comic-Con coverage. It's one of my favorite things to do every year. Uh, fortunately, I live in New York, so it's not a hard trek for me to get there. New York Comic-Con 2019. We'll find out the fate of the Unicron HasLab figure. We will be at whatever panels we can attend that relate to Transformers. And uh, most likely, we'll be part of whatever Hasbro decides to do for New York Comic-Con. So that is October's 3rd through 6th. Uh, I will be live tweeting on Twitter. Once again, at TFU underscore info. And uh, I'll be doing some sort of thing on YouTube, I'm sure. So youtube.com slash TFU info. Be sure to uh, subscribe and ring the bell for notifications. So next time on the show, we're going to stay in the literary field, if you will. We're going to talk a little bit more about books from 1986. We're going to cover uh, some big looker books. We're going to cover a coloring book that uh, one of my listeners was able to dig up and a little bit more. Um, I don't want to give everything away, but it's going to be a fun time. Uh, we've got, wow, uh, one, two, three. We've got five different publications to cover, uh, including, <laughs> I'm just going to read you the title because this, this, if this title doesn't draw you in, I don't know what will. And that is uh, the Big Looker book of uh, the story of Wheelie, the wild boy of Quintesson. Once again, planet Quintesson, not Quintessa. <laughs> you know, we don't argue about that one. We argue about Rumble is Red and Frenzy is Blue, but we don't argue about Quintesson versus Quintessa. Uh, maybe we should. Where do you stand on that one? Let me know on Twitter, at TFU underscore info. All right, that'll wrap up the show for this week. Until next time, I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind tfu.info. Till next time.